Good morning and welcome to chapel here at Goshen College. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors here. And we warmly welcome you here, students, faculty, staff, uh, and the many other guests who are also here as part of our campus day. I also want to extend a um, special welcome to this row up here of colleagues of Tamara and I um, throughout the United States and, and Canada. We have Mennonite campus pastors from other Mennonite colleges and seminaries who are here on this campus today. And we were at Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary yesterday enjoying time of resourcing and sharing with one another. So welcome here to this place. This morning in our chapel, we are privileged to have Brian McLaren with us. Um, he'll be here for the weekend, but he's here this morning in our chapel. Brian is an author, a speaker, a pastor, an innovative thinker, a leader, an activist, a frequent guest on television, radio, news media programs. He was born in 1956, graduated from the University of Maryland with degrees in uh, English, bachelor's and master's levels degrees. And from 1978 to 1986, Brian taught English. And in 1982, he helped to form Cedar Ridge Community Church, an innovative non-denominational church in the Baltimore, Washington area. He left higher education in 1986 to serve as the church's founding pastor and served in that capacity until 2006. During that time, Cedar Ridge earned a reputation as a leader among emerging missional congregations. Brian has been active in networking and mentoring church planters and pastors since the mid-1980s and has assisted in the development of several new churches. His public speaking covers a broad range of topics, including postmodern thought and culture, biblical studies, evangelism, leadership, global mission, spiritual formation, worship, pastoral survival and burnout, interreligious dialogue, ecology, and social justice. Brian has authored nearly a dozen books, with his latest being Everything Must Change, Jesus, Global Crises, and a Revolution of Hope. And out of this book emerges an 11-city tour that he and his folks have been on for the last several um, months, and Goshen College, we are the last stop on that particular tour. Um, and we are happy to have that uh, here happen on this campus, beginning this evening and then uh, concluding throughout the day tomorrow. Brian is married to Grace. They have four young adult children. And he's traveled extensively in Europe, Latin America, and Africa. And his personal interests include ecology, fishing, hiking, music, art, and literature. Today in our chapel service, Brian's message is on the theme of a less traveled road for Christian college students. And as we've done in our chapels this semester, we begin by lighting the dancing flame lamp. It's an oil lamp representing God's active, vibrant spirit among us in this very sacred space during this 40 minutes of our chapel today. Let us pray together. Creator God, we are reminded of your beautiful creation with the blue sky, the chilled air, the green grass, the buds, the newly formed leaves. We are grateful that we have this space and place to gather together as a community, to listen, to think, to reflect, to realize what are our appropriate responses in this world of your loving actions. Amen.
you would please stand with me and turn to number 26 in your blue hymnals. Join with me in singing. Number 26. Good morning, everyone. It's really an honor for me to be here. I uh, am especially glad to have a chance to speak to the students. And so anyone who doesn't exactly look like a student, uh, I'm going to ignore you, but you're welcome to eavesdrop, all right? Uh, but I want to speak especially to the students because very often I think you probably feel as if you're faced with a choice between two options, and, and I want to have you consider a third option for yourselves as college students who are given this amazing privilege of, uh, of Christian higher education. I am a huge fan and believer of Christian higher education and uh, especially places like Goshen. And um, I'd like to offer you an alternative to think about how you're going to put what you have gained both in your childhood and now in your young adulthood here at university and college into practice. And I'd like to explain this in terms of a, a paradigm shift that I think you happen to have been born in. Uh, now, paradigm shifts usually work in a process where, like this, where you start with an old paradigm or an old model where the world works in a certain way. And, uh, and then there's an early transition period as certain people 
they feel that the old way, the old paradigm isn't working anymore and they start breaking out of it in the early transition period. But usually most of their energy is spent criticizing how bad the old paradigm is, you see. So in the early, early transition, they're looking back saying, that old paradigm just doesn't work anymore, we don't like it. Then in the late transition period, they, they stop attacking the old paradigm and they start trying to build a new model, a new way of seeing things, a new way of doing things. And gradually that new model develops and eventually it becomes a full-blown alternative. And, and uh, very few of the people who live in the old paradigm cross the bridge to the new paradigm, but very often their children and grandchildren are the people who help build this new paradigm. But of course, in the transition between the old world and the new world, there's often a lot of conflict. And I think all of you uh, who are students today, without, you know, it's not your fault when you were born, but you happen to be born in the middle of this. You happen to be born in a time when both paradigms are in existence and where there's some tension uh, between them. And, and I think in some ways uh, to be a young uh, student in a Christian uh, college today means to be aware of these two paradigms and in some ways to feel a bit torn between them. It's a little bit like this uh, photograph that comes from 1998, 10 years ago in Honduras, when there was a huge hurricane, Hurricane Mitch. And uh, Hurricane Mitch created a huge flood in this river that washed away the road on either side of this bridge. And then when the, the floodwaters receded, the riverbed was in a new place. And now they're leaving the bridge kind of stranded. And you've got to be impressed that the bridge could survive but you also have to sort of realize that now it's not much more than a tourist attraction. Now when you think about it, rivers are always moving. Grains of sand are moving. Erosion is constant. But once every, actually they say about every 10,000 years you have a storm like Hurricane Mitch that just completely alters the landscape. And many of us believe we're in that kind of a transition period now, uh, a, a transition period that's changing the maps and changing the landscape of our world. People who study this sort of thing talk about one of these transitions happening about 2500 BC, a, a transition from a prehistoric world, meaning a pre-literate world, meaning a world before the invention of writing, to a new world after the invention of writing, which, which uh, began to uh, catch on about 2500 BC. And that created this world that we call the ancient world. And then people feel that there was another one of these transition periods around 500 AD. This was when the Roman Empire collapsed and no new empire replaced it. And the church became the dominant force in Western civilization, creating a new world that we call the medieval world that went on from about 500 AD to about 1500 AD. And then uh, you look at what happened about 1500 AD, this, the, the convergence of changes in so many different dimensions of life, the printing press, new communication technology, new transportation technology with the multi-masted sailing vessels that not only created the possibility of uh, global travel, but also global trade and created a whole new economic system that we now know as capitalism. I mean, really, the beginnings of the global economy uh, uh, develop with this new transportation technology. New weapons technology, first guns, then infantry carrying guns, and then artillery, and the world really changes because of these new weapons. 
and a new economic system, new scientific worldview, and then of course even a new way of doing religion with, with the Reformation and Luther, and of course here, thankfully, a great awareness of the Radical Reformation. And so a lot of us look at that period of about 1500 AD as another period of radical paradigm shift, radical change in the world. And some people were born in that period of change and they had to decide, do we try to maintain the old way of seeing things or do we embrace uh, the new? And many of us believe that that world that was born 500 years ago, the modern world, has been going along strong. It's still going along strong. But we look at the convergence of changes going on in our world, new communication technology. I think you could say that the, the invention of the, the screen, the movie screen, the television screen, the computer screen, and then the invention of the Internet. I mean, these are probably the biggest, the biggest uh, transformations and human communication since the invention of writing, 2500 BC. Remarkable changes. Uh, new science, a uh, whole new understanding of science with, with Albert Einstein and Werner Heisenberg and Niels Bohr and so many of the others that have created this new uh, and emerging understanding of our physical world. We don't have to say anything about new weapons because the 20th century took us way beyond uh, artillery First, we learned to drop bombs from airplanes, and then we developed nuclear bombs and biological and chemical weapons. And, uh, the, and so this, how will this change the world? We're still figuring it, that out as we read the papers every day. New transportation. Now, airplanes make possible in hours what used to take months on boats, and before that used to take many months and was actually impossible kinds of travel. And this is creating a new economy, a digital economy, where money, where money is transferred by the click of a mouse and where digital tra transfer of money is changing the world in ways that we haven't even begun to imagine. And this has created a whole new environment where new forms of spirituality are emerging. And many people refer to this era as a post-Christian era because uh, where this, this change happens, we see the Christian faith seem to be in disarray in many cases, sometimes defensive, sometimes just evaporating. And so a lot of us believe we're another one of these transition points, another one of these paradigm shifts that, so that you could say in 2008 on planet Earth there are actually three different worlds. There's a, a pre-modern world. This is the world before books. And then there's the modern world, and this is the world focused in books. And then there's this emerging world. This is the world of screens and, and internet and, and new forms of communication. And, and there's philosophical dimensions to each of these. Uh, and, and this transition, uh, the, the coexistence of these three worlds is, is part of the, just what it means to be a human being uh, right now. And... Um, and so if we had a lot of time, we could talk about the, what goes on in this kind of a, a transition, uh, the, the changes from a world of conquest to a world of conservation, from a mechanistic world to a holistic world, an analytical to a post-analytical, critical to post-critical. Uh, we could talk about changes from a, a consumerist world to a sustainability-oriented world, uh, a, a, a nation-based world to a, a global and migratory world. It, it, there's so many dimensions to this, this deep, deep shift, this paradigm change that's going on and that you're uh, born into. 
But what I'd especially like to notice is something that the guy who in many ways invented the term paradigm or popularized it, Thomas Kuhn said. Thomas Kuhn said, almost always the people who achieve fundamental inventions of a new paradigm have been either very young or very new to the field whose paradigm they change. And I believe that it's people like you all, college students today, who are going to be the key players in the building and development of a new paradigm, a new framework of what it means to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ in this new context, in this changing world. You know, it's interesting, in the Reformation 500 years ago, one of the leaders of the Reformation was a guy named John Calvin. And very few Calvinists know this today, but John Calvin was 19 years old when he became a pastor, and he was 19 years old when he began writing the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And he finished his first draft of the Institutes when he was 25 years old. And so here was a young man at this juncture between the medieval world and the modern world, and this young man is paving the way. Of course, this shouldn't surprise followers of Christ because Jesus himself, Jesus was finished his earthly work when he was 33. And so anyone who calls himself a Christian is part of a movement that ought to have an inherent bias to the importance of young leaders who are always looking ahead and and who are the ones grappling with these changes over history. Uh, you find this in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, very well-known verses, but maybe these words will have a special meaning today. Paul wrote to this young Christian leader, Timothy, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. You understand what Paul is saying to Timothy is very much what Thomas Kuhn was saying. He was saying, Timothy, the fact that you are young, some people might see as a disadvantage, but Paul's saying it's not a disadvantage at all. You have a special ability to set an example, and you have gifts that are very, very important in such a time as this. So, students today, I'd like to suggest to you, don't have two choices. You actually have three. One choice is the choice of carrying on modern Christianity, carrying on the church as it is. And I believe this is important. And by the grace of God, some of you will be called to do this. Some of you will be called to help our churches in their current form to continue and making small incremental changes as they're able. Some of you will be called to carry on modern Christianity. Now, modern Christianity exists in a number of different forms. And many of you at a place like Goshen have a special calling of carrying on the modern expression of the radical reformation of the Anabaptist heritage. And this is incredibly important. And some of you will be called to this. And if that's your calling, you should pursue that calling with a, a, a full heart and a sense of the importance and responsibility of it. What a lot of people are doing, though, when they see the option of carrying on a modern form of Christianity, they just find themselves unable to do it. Some of them leave Christian faith entirely, or they leave active Christian practice, especially in the church. 
and I'm seeing this, uh, it's statistically verified now, but I'm seeing it around the world. I've seen it in New Zealand and Australia. I've seen it across Latin America and Africa and Europe and, and in Asia as well, where lots and lots of young people, they're part of this paradigm shift. They're moving out of the, the world of the modern world, but the church is preserving that world. And so Monday through Saturday, they're living in this different world, but then when they go to church, they feel like they've just gone into kind of a Star Trek beam me down into a different planet experience, and they're in this different religious world, and the whole world looks different. And depending on their denomination, they struggle with different dimensions of it. But eventually what happens to a lot of people is they become unable to negotiate the constant living between two worlds. And, and eventually they just decide, look, if the church isn't going to come into my world, then I'm just going to leave it behind. Some of them do it with anger. Some of them do it with woundedness. Some of them do it with real sadness. They, they, they wish they could maintain living in these two worlds, but, but they can't. My concern is what happens to so many of these people who end up dropping out and leaving the church. And what happens to so many of them is they don't become wicked people. You know, they aren't starting wars or creating mafias or anything like that, you know. But what happens to a lot of them is they just become kind of good old-fashioned American consumers. They might be nice, but they're just like everybody else. And they lose any distinctive identity as a radical follower of Jesus Christ. That's why I think what we really need is a third alternative. An alternative to just perpetuating modern Christianity or rejecting Christian faith altogether. And this to me is the third option that I hope that my being here today for all of you students, if you haven't realized this already, will at least become an option that you can explore and imagine. And that's the option of becoming vibrant followers of Jesus Christ who pioneer a new way of being Christians individually and in community in this emerging, fast-changing world. And that's not easy. For people like the founders of Anabaptism 500 years ago, that meant for them being grossly, deeply misunderstood. Because they were not just offering different answers to the same old questions. They were raising different questions about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it meant to truly be a Christian. But they had the courage to step out and try to pioneer and break into new territory and grapple with those new, new questions. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? In, in the world of Einstein's physics instead of the world of Newton's physics. What does it mean to step out and be a follower of Jesus Christ in a world where the old division between matter, material and spiritual, between, between uh, the body and the soul, where those barriers are disappearing and we're having to understand human beings in much more embodied ways because of what we're learning about the, neuro, the, the, the structure of the brain and the, the chemical and biological basis of, of, of consciousness, neuropsychopharmacology and all these sort of things. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in that world? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus 
in, in a world where a third of the world's population lives in unprecedented comfort and affluence. And two-thirds of the world's population are left farther and farther behind as the gap between the rich minority and the poor majority grows greater and greater. What does it mean to live in a world of a, of a so-called global economy that's only working for a global elite? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ in a world where for most people, before lunch, they'll meet more people of more religions than their grandparents would meet in their entire life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a pluralistic world where Christians and Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and Hindus and Sikhs and atheists and agnostics and many others have, have to live side by side and hoping that everybody will avoid pressing the red button that sends the bombs falling? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in that context? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a world where Islamic fundamentalism and Christian fundamentalism are in some ways equally scary? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when many in the Christian community are the, the very strongest opponents of taking the environmental crisis seriously? What does it mean? Is it possible to imagine being followers of Jesus who are willing to move into that new territory and grapple with those new questions and seize those new possibilities and ask those new questions? These people who take this step are not just interested in going to heaven after they die. Obviously, they want to live a life and they want to be in touch with God in this life so that after this life, they know they'll be with God. But the focus of their faith isn't escaping the world. They want to seek God's kingdom here on earth while they're still alive. They want to be agents of God's healing of the world. They don't want to just keep the old ship of the church afloat, but they want to make a difference in the world for the future, and they want to do it expressing their deep faith in Jesus Christ. For them, Christian faith isn't just a system of belief it's not just something that they argue about and defend and attack people with their arguments, but it's a way of life that they live that, that leads them to care for the planet and work for the poor and be agents of peace. They understand that God has a deep concern for the earth. God isn't just concerned with extracting souls so that he can get them up to heaven so then the earth can be done with but they actually believe that a better way of reading the Bible and of understanding the whole biblical story is that God is not interested in getting rid of the earth. God's movement is toward the earth through the incarnation of Jesus. God comes into the world and then God sends through Jesus the disciples into the world and that God is interested in healing the world, not condemning it. God's interested in bringing peace and justice and reconciliation. And, and these people are, what they want to do is join Jesus, not in running back to a huddle of, of the holy in a little bubble of, of religious purity, but they're interested in joining Jesus to get their hands dirty in the mess and complexity and challenges of this world. It's a messy spirituality they're interested in. It, it, it's it's a, a spirituality that is rooted and, and grounded in deep faith in Jesus Christ, but making a difference 
in this world. Their, their prayer is, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole direction and focus of their life is how to live out the faith in making a difference in this world. And so Christian college students are being given this amazing opportunity to learn about life, whether it's in a biology or history or psychology or sociology class, to, to be learning about life, be learning about the world, in the context, trying to integrate that with a deep understanding of Christian faith. And then you are going to have to make a choice. How are you going to live out that faith? How are you going to live out that faith in your generation that's born in this profound time of, of change? And I just want to speak very personally here because uh, we need you. We need people like you who are going to be the pioneers and figure out how it's done. We need to tell you that you have permission to do what our forebears have done as young people. You have permission to enter new territory. You have permission to ask, what should the church look like in the world of today and tomorrow? You have permission to plant those kinds of churches. You have permission to lead and, and manifest Christian faith in fresh new ways. You not only have permission, it's really a live option. And I'm telling you, we really need you. We also need people to keep the old ship afloat. We need them, and they have an important job to do. Because until you have helped create a new paradigm and new ways of living the faith, they're guarding the treasure back there. But eventually, when you've created new vehicles for carrying the faith into the future, then those treasures will be transferred to you and you'll carry them on. We need you. We need you a lot. And there are different callings. But perhaps the Holy Spirit will, in your heart, be saying something to you that this is yours. To lead out of the old through that narrow bridge and be part of creating a new way of living our faith. Thank you very much. If you'd please stand with me again and turn in your Sing the Jer Green Sing the Journey books to number 78. I have some people up here who are going to help me out. once, then the Swaziland traditional once, then the English again, and the Swaziland traditional again. So four times total.
Thank you, Brian. If you are not yet registered for the conference this evening, we accept walk-in registrations, so please show up by 6 p.m. for walk-in registrations. We'd love to see you here if you're not already registered. And now, by the grace of God, go from this place looking for those new and different ways, those new and different expressions of following after Jesus the Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and Transformer. Amen.